0: Jenny Vinkow, Dale Okasazi, Veronica Yu, Vincent Zazara, Maxine Zazara, William Doy, Mary Louise Cannon, Mabel Bell, Max Needing, Leela Needing, Chaynarong Kovenanth, and Elias Abawath. These are all names that you probably don't remember because they're victims. Victims of one of the worst serial killers of all time. I'm talking about none other than Richard Ramirez. And today, we are eating Richard Ramirez's last meal. And that meal is chicken cacciatore. It's such an extravagant and, uh, dare I say, luxurious Italian meal. But it's not. It's, it's really not uh, all, that <clears throat> all that complicated. It's a very throw-together meal. Um, you know, it consists of chicken, tomatoes, peppers, lots of times capers, which I don't like capers, uh, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Folks, welcome to the last meal podcast brought to you by whatever it may be hosted by me, Jay Cyrus. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Mr. Ramirez here. Uh, this last meal is kind of interesting because it, it wasn't, um, he was on death row, but he did not die on, uh, you know, he, he did not die by any kind of, what is it? Capital punishment. He died from lymphoma. Karma. Yeah. He got cancer and died. And, uh, his last meal request, I guess on his deathbed was chicken cacciatore. So. I really wanted to do this. This is one of the uh, more interesting stories and, and uh more fascinating serial killers. So, you know, I, I'm uh, if, if he didn't have a last meal, we wouldn't be able to do this. But he he did. He didn't. He didn't. He died on death row, but not the way he was supposed to. Or maybe some people would think, oh, that is the way he was supposed to die. God willing. If you're into that kind of thing. Um the names that I gave in the beginning of the podcast were, of course, his confirmed kill victims, uh, people that he he murdered. But, uh, you know, we don't hear a lot about the things that, that you know, didn't result in murder, which are just the, the invasions, the home break-ins, the assault, and the, the child uh, molestation and, and all the things that he did. He would kidnap children, and this is kind of something that wasn't really brought to light until later on. Uh, in the Netflix documentaries, and I think it has everything to do with the fact that they didn't want to bring the children back into trial and put them through the pain of having to see this man again, but uh, he did that a lot. He abducted kids a lot and did terrible things to them, and they figured out, you know, since he's already got the death penalty, they're not going to drag the kids into it. It's not going to change the sentence any which is smart, you know i mean it's um he he received the justice that he he you know deserves, uh even though that I think he should have been um they should have put a gorilla in his in his cell and let the gorilla like a really horny gorilla that would have been a lot better. I think a horny gorilla in his cell would have been a little bit more justice than than he got, but death justice nonetheless first known as the walk-in killer and the valley intruder later earned the title of the night stalker a man obsessed with the portrayal of fear in his victims this is the kind of guy that gets off on people's fear lots of times he would wait for his victims to show this fear before he would uh kill them because he loved it. He's a you know self-righteous in the eyes of the evil power. You know, this guy thinks he had a, a big plan in hell. You know? Which, I mean, if you were doing things to get on Satan's good side, he was definitely crossing down all the whole list. If there was a book on how to please Satan, this guy fucking, not only read it, he wrote the fucking thing. For sure. Um, Lots of times he would... He would prey on older women. He'd kill the husbands and then have his way with the, the women. Sometimes they'd survive, the husbands would die, sometimes they'd he'd kill all of them. Uh but it was like old women and kids. That that was like his sexual thing. Um you know, he he believed himself to be walking death. And he was like he was like corny in this way, you know? <laughs> like he was um He was about as corny as like a a Hot Topic new hire. You know, like he he had like the satanic thing going on, but he was very, very corny in this regard. He'd be like, look at this pentagram I made on my hand. Swear to Satan. (laughs) You know, it's just like very corny shit. If you walked into a Hot Topic and there was a new hire there working at the desk and they were wearing like black lipstick and black eyeliner and, you know, had like a really dark eyeshadow on they say they would say the kind of things that Richard Ramirez said. Yeah, I get off at three, but I'm probably going to go get this pentagram. I drew on my hand tattooed. So it'll be there forever since this, this is like who I am. And, um, you know, my parents just don't give a shit about me and they spend too much time on the yacht. Shut the fuck up. And this is like, This was like so weird to me because he was just like such a corny individual and he was ugly as fuck. His teeth looked like, you know, he was hit by an 18-wheeler only in the mouth. Very pungent smell. The guy smelled like absolute shit trash. Literally smelled like garbage day in the worst city in the world. And yet he still had groupies. He had women that would send him fucking nudes in prison and write poems and would blame society on how he was treated and, and like how he how he was. Oh man, he's only fucking a weird little goth idiot because of society. No, dude, he's he's that way because he did have a terrible childhood, you know. He uh he watched his cousin murder his wife. I I believe which just like crazy. I mean, he was also molested and went through a lot of terrible shit. But it's like, I don't think any, I honestly don't think anything merits doing the kind of shit that he did as a serial killer. I just don't, uh, I don't think there's a justification for that. Like, I know, like, there's. Having a bad childhood growing up, you know, there's a lot of people think that, you know, sociopaths are due to, you know, having bad childhoods and all this other stuff. And of course, sometimes it's just in their nature, but I I see this kind of shit. I'm like, okay, so you were picked on. All right. Like, um, who was it? Michael Kuklinski. His mother used to like take his wet bed sheets after he wet the bed and put them on display in the neighborhood. Like, yo, that sucks. That's terrible, but that doesn't make me want to go out and murder people. You know, like, my mom's embarrassed me quite a few times. And <laughs> I've never been like, hey, I, maybe I should probably murder someone. Uh, but they mention this kind of stuff in docs and stuff like that. And there, there's, like, always this moment where somebody, either the defense or somebody from the family of the serial killer is like, well, you know, he had a bad childhood. It's like, I don't give a fuck, bro. Compared to what he did, that's nothing. This dude would sometimes even cut the eyes out of his victims and keep them. It's insane. Um, he assaulted a lot of children. he'd kidnap, you know assault them, and then he would just abandon them, tell them to go call the cops, find out you know where their parents are, whatnot. And um, his reign as a serial killer went on for quite some time. It was really scary to live in L.A. and the surrounding areas at that time, I, I assume. They just couldn't fucking catch this guy. And the people that were after him were, the, were you know, one of the guys, uh, Salerno, I believe, had just caught the Hillside Strangler, which I don't know much about the Hillside Strangler. I'll have to look into that. But one of the things that actually led to a big part of the investigation was he was wearing this uh, Avia shoe. And they were following this footprint forever. It would be at multiple crime scenes, and it, it they you know kind of narrowed it down as you could in like the the late seventies, I think, or the early seventies, whatever. It, you could pr- pretty much narrow it down because Avia, I think, was like pretty new, so they only they narrowed it that they they only made. Like or they only shipped out five pairs of these shoes, you know, or six pairs of these shoes, but five went to Arizona and one went to LA. And they, you know, they narrowed it down by color. They were like, it's, you know, judging by the victims or the survivors that gave us descriptions, this was a black shoe. They kept following this shoe forever. Uh, which was crazy because that was a big significant clue, and they had actually captured him based on that at one point, but he ran away. But it's like you have this significant piece of evidence and you know, you chase it for a while and you could very well come up with something that's significant to the case uh, or just could lead to an absolute arrest. But then there's people like this news lady that were about to break the story on the show. Like she was about to literally run a story on how they had this footprint at each one of the things. And it's like you know i understand do anything for the story but why would you jeopardize them being able to capture a terrible killer and like prevent other killings from happening why would the, she wanted to break the lead story about how they had the shoe evidence and she was going to you know they have this avia shoe print it could come from this print and it's like just for a news story you would tip him off to just buy a new pair of shoes and they would lose so much fucking work they had to broker a deal with her for an interview. Basically, they had to say, look, if you don't fucking release this, this shoe bullshit, we'll give you two we'll give you an interview with two of the lead detectives. And she was like, Okay, but what 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 kind of fucking person do you have to be to barter that deal to be like, look, I you know, I gotta get the story, so I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do something that can tip him off and give him the upper hand. Which is crazy. Uh, which later on the mayor actually uh, one of the, a mayor in California actually released the info prematurely anyway um, so you know it happened anyway, but luckily they had uh you know uh, other significant pieces of evidence that were able to take Ramirez down, and Ramirez went through quite a few uh crazy mishaps in his serial killer career, one being that he shot a married couple. And both of them survived. This this couple was just. They weren't going down. Without a fight. First he shoots the woman. She screams. The husband comes in. She survives. Point blank in the fucking ear he shoots her. It misses all. Like critical. Uh, I guess. I guess. Um, what is it? What's the word? What's the terminology? It misses everything that could be fatal. And then she screams. The husband comes in. He fucking shoots the husband point blank range. Also, misses all fatal arteries, everything like that. The husband survives, chases the motherfucker out of the house. What, like, how, what kind of story is that? Hey, you know what a serial killer, Richard Ramirez? He broke into my fucking house, shot me and my wife in the head, and we chased him out. That's, you gotta be, like, what's their story? I want a documentary on the rest of their life after the break-in, the shot to the head, their survival. (laughs) Did they experience any kind of, like, mental problems? That's nuts. But also, being Richard Ramirez and thinking that you have this, uh, you know, this will to the devil and this key and this power only to find out you're you're actually a dumb piece of shit and you can't you don't do everything perfectly. And you fucked up. Um, let's see, you know, Richard Ramirez just has so much about him. And I think a lot to that is yet to be revealed. I mentioned before uh, Richard had terrible teeth. And an awful smile, and I think you can see this in some of the pictures and. It's it's ultimately one of the other things that led to his arrest in the investigation was his dental problems had dropped another clue that they they came up with in a car that he was driving. Uh he left a card to his dentist and they basically uh went to the dentist's office. They got an x-ray of his teeth and from a professional standpoint, uh the person that they, you know, kind of had analyzed the x-rays of his teeth said There's no way he's not going to be back to that dentist's office because he's got, you know, shit that's going to be aching and he's going to need it fixed. So they had some of their best officers wait at this dentist's office uh, for him. I don't think it came up. I don't think it came up. I don't think he ever came back or maybe he did come back and he he knew something was fishy and he was like, "Uh, yo, I'm out of here. I'll just fucking have my stupid, disgusting... Snaggle bottom tooth, pain, I don't care. I'm Richard Ramirez, who gives a fuck. I'm the worst person in the world at this time, which he is and and uh Richard Ramirez used to stay a lot uh he used to stay at the Cecil Hotel a lot, and you guys might be familiar with the Cecil Hotel and how crazy that story is that that's like the at one point a lot of just terrible people stayed there uh and some just very interesting individuals as well. And, of course, later on in the Cecil Hotel existence, rather, uh, came the crazy story with that girl that disappeared. And they found her in the water tanks. You should look that up. It's, it's, it's crazy. Lots of documentaries out. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm somebody that craves these kind of documentaries. I love them. I love watching them. I love just, like, absorbing everything. Um anyway, Richard was eventually apprehended after a chase in LA when he returned from visiting his brother in Arizona. People in the neighborhood started to team up. He actually was he he came back from Arizona. He saw the cops at a bus station waiting for him. Motherfucker just books it. He starts running. He's all over LA just running everywhere different neighborhoods, businesses, all this kind of shit. Somebody recognizes him and takes a fucking pipe to his head. And then they just start teaming up. Everybody's, you know, just, they would have fucking killed him. They probably would have just murdered this man. But uh, then they had the cops show up and, and, you know, Ramirez had even said to the civilians, they captured him. they he was like, you know, I'm, I'm lucky the cops are on their way. And he was. Um, they beat him and held him at bay until authorities arrived, which I think is like the most badass shit. You know, it's like, you know, just working as a neighborhood. Like, what you're that you're the neighborhood. Like, we're all the neighbors. Another another documentary I want to see: the neighbors that bonded together to take down Richard Ramirez. You know, what was that day like? And they all swarmed, like, they were all just kind of like, you know, they were congregating around the police cars, and this dude's got fucking bandages on his head, he's been beat to shit by a pipe. You know, what, what, is, what is going on there? What is, I want to know, I want to be there that day after the cops take him off. I, did they have a fucking party? I would have thrown a barbecue in the neighborhood immediately. I would have been like, yo, this is the fucking Richard Ramirez takedown barbecue. If you had anything to do, if you watched it, if you hit him, if you caught him, we're all eating fucking burgers. It's on me. This is a, a celebratory event. I'd like to know if they did that. I really would. I think that would be great. <laughs> um, And again, I, I always, I can't. Stop thinking about these victims. I mean, not the victims. I, the the victims, of course. My heart goes out to them. But I, I, a different a different kind of victim, a victim of society. I I'm, I can't stop thinking about these groupies that he had. You know these these women that were just like, oh, this guy who who you know raped children, and killed people. That's sexy. What? It just goes to show you that there's always a caliber of person that will take it to the worst extremity for a single slice of attention. It's so fucking weird, dude. I, and there's not even like a bad, like, there's, how is that even a bad boy image? How do you even look at Richard Ramirez and say, ooh, he's a bad boy? Dude, that's pure fucking evil personified. Not only that, disgusting. How would you ever want to be with somebody who has that kind of sexual record? Uh, I mean, you know, like what? Those kind of kinks. And he doesn't look at any of them like that. He's not in the courtroom looking at these women going, oh, yeah, like I'm a fucking heartthrob. These women are sexy. He's looking at them like, yo, this is this would be great if I got out of all this shit so I could meet up with these women and kill them. But they don't care. Richard was supposed to have the gas chamber. Of course, I mentioned earlier, he died of natural causes. Uh, and I don't, I just, I I don't know what the gas chamber is. And I really don't know much that, that much about lymphoma. But both of those things don't seem, Uh, they don't, they don't fucking seem to cut it. I don't think those. I don't think any either one of those things are, are viable to the kind of execution that he deserved. I just don't. Him and his little uh, hot topic shirt with his uh, rhinestone belt. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> not rhinestone. What is it? Like a studded belt? I just look at Richard Ramirez as like a, a guy with like if he was born a little bit later. He would he would be the guy with the studded belt and the fucking shirt that says Don't Ask Me About My Day <laughs> White writing on a black shirt. He fucking would have straightened his hair for sure. Just a little the little corny shit, man. I I you look at his trial where he's like holding up the pentagram. Did I say Pentagon before? Maybe I did. I don't fucking know. That would be even more interesting if he had the pentagon tattooed on his wrist, or his hand. He's holding up the pentagram, and he's just like, Hail Satan! It's like, Bro, you're a wuss. You know who worships Satan? People that are just like, a wuss. <laughs> you find the, the deepest, darkest, toughest thing you can claim, and you claim it. Because in real life, you're actually a, a, a wuss. You're a fucking wimp. And I think they, they actually found this out about him. Was that like, you know, he had a gun. So he was able to get away with a lot. But when it came down to like fighting or actually having to use his strength and like be tough, he was he was a prick. And that's why that married couple chased him away. He fucking shot him and they they, they survived and he was like, oh my God, I can't if I can't kill them with a gun, then I definitely can't fucking fight them. I wonder if there was a part of him to, I'm sorry, guys, my throat is on fire. It's so dry in Vegas. I wonder if there was a part of him that thought that maybe they were like children of Satan and Satan spared them. Probably. Anyway, Richard Ramirez, one of the most awful humans. Uh, he's, he's dead now and, Good riddance. Fuck them. Terrible guy. And his last meal was chicken cacciatore. We're going to get into the tasting here. Um, I do believe that good people. Already, chicken cacciatore, it's, uh, you know, it's an Italian classic. You know, it's a very succulent home-cooked meal. It's uh, one of the throw-together recipes in the Italian meal book. Uh, but it's still elegant nonetheless. The plating is beautiful. And uh, overall, this looks delicious. This is probably one of those instances where a bad person has has good taste. Um, as I eat this, I'm reminded very much of just a home-cooked meal. Something that that screams, you know, like, I guess, warmth and... I don't know, just home. And I would imagine that maybe this played into the selection and the decision of Richard Ramirez making this his last meal because I would say at a point in your life where you've done so much fucking evil and you've been, you know, you have came down with this condition and this, this lymphoma and you're living out your last days and dwelling on, on your life. Maybe the last thing he wanted to feel was some kind of warmth and some kind of home-cooked value of, you know, home. I, I don't think that this man had any, any uh, sympathy for anything that he did. I don't think he had any remorse. Um, I think he was a tip-to-tail piece of shit, of course. But I would like to think that maybe in his last hours he felt all the fucking evil that he bestowed upon the world in this meal maybe made him feel a little bit better. Truth is, we don't even know if he fucking ate it. We just know that he requested it. Chicken cacciatore, very, very delicious, though. Uh, tomatoes, peppers, chicken, capers, which I had my girl cook me this meal because uh, you know I, I couldn't find a restaurant that really served it and, and would let me take it away from the restaurant. Uh, in time. She did a very good job. She used Giada's recipe. And there's capers in it. I, I asked her, of course, not to put the capers in. I don't really know. I can't remember. I'm pretty sure that I don't like capers. Because I hate olives. And I think they're similar. From what I've heard. So without the capers, I've I've started eating this meal. And it's, uh, it's quite delicious. A lot better than the surf and turf that John Wayne Gacy fucking made me eat. Uh, which you know, fried shrimp and fried chicken can be good. It just wasn't wherever I got it from. Uh, which I, you know, I'm not going to give away that free promo <laughs> or that free Yelp review. wasn't wasn't nearly as good as this. Now maybe this is because it's, this is a home cooked thing, and uh, of course my girl did an amazing job. It's incredible, very delicious, but at no point while eating this did I desire to break into people's houses and murder them. So, I don't know where Ramirez uh, picked up this particular taste, why he likes this meal so much. But this was his last meal. And this is the Last Meal Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Cyrus, and join us next time as we eat the last meal and talk about how terrible another serial killer is. I won't give it away just yet. It's in the works. But we will see you then. Thank you. Hello. Hello again. Welcome. Whatever it may be, podcast brings you The Last Meal. We're in episode three of this limited series where we talk about quite some interesting stuff in The Last Meal of some of society's most notable serial killers. But before we get into that, how are you? How have you been? What's been going on over there in in your land, you know? Um I went to uh I f- f- fuck. I went to a festival this past weekend called Lovers and Friends. That was uh it was crazy. I got to see some of my favorite artists perform. You know, it's kind of like this crazy uh festival of like 2000s rap and R&B. Yeah, it, Usher, Lil John, Ludacris, Lil Kim, uh Cassie, TLC, Sierra, Juvenile, uh, Mace, Warren G, T Pain, just to name a few. Uh it was probably the hottest event I've ever been to in my life, temperature wise. It was pretty hot, uh, clout wise, it was pretty hot. Temperature wise, the hottest thing ever. And we were there from uh, 10 a.m. to 1.30 a.m. So, way too much heat. Uh, also, $6 waters, fuck you. Fuck you for doing that. $6 waters, eat your own fucking fist. How can anybody throw a festival in Las Vegas, Nevada and charge $6 for water? Fuck you sideways. Fuck you. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. There's not a simple bone of humanity in your body. How? Oh, well, we're giving out free hose water. Yeah, that ran out. That's lukewarm. Fuck you. Uh, Aside from that, there was a stampede. I don't know if you guys remember, there was a, a country music festival years ago and some psychotic fuck nugget Uh, busted out the window at the Mandalay Bay and and with assault rifles and various weapons shot up a country music festival that was in the middle of a parking lot, much like this one. Well, flash forward a couple years. Let's say you went to that festival. You're already traumatized. I didn't, but I'm sure that this might be the case for someone that was there. You're already traumatized. Years later, you decide I'm going to go out again. I'm going to fucking give it another whirl. Lovers and friends is in town. I'm going to go hit it up. You get there and everything's fine and kosher till about, I don't know, 6.30 p.m. I think is when it happened. Some douche nozzle, some absolute shit bath decides, hey, let's pretend that people are shooting. And a stampede. a stampede ensues. All that trauma comes back up and you're like, what the fuck did I get myself into? It, the stampede happened. I'm in the, in the way of it. I'm thinking, First, my first thought was, there's a car coming. Somebody's driving a car through the crowd. This is ridiculous. The way that people mo- were moving, that's what it looked like. Second thought initially was, this might be a shooting. I didn't hear any gunshots, but it might be a shooting. Third, well, I just thought maybe people were assholes and wanted to get to the front of the stage. But I turn around, I get trampled by this 400-pound man. He steps completely on my ankle. I'm fucked. I go to the medic tent. They wrap it. Investigation comes uh, and checks everything out to find out that it's fraudulent. The, the show goes on. Usher, little John and Ludacris come out, do their thing. I got my ankle wrapped. I'm staying on board because I want to see Lauren Hill. And I do see Lauren Hill and it's quite fantastic. What an experience. TLC is probably still one of my favorites though. Um, But yeah, so that happened to me, and that sucked. That was fucking awful. But the festival was cool. Aside from the the heat, the $6 water, and the the stampede, great festival. Great performances. Cassie's uh, just as hot as she's always been. Eom. And we love her for that. (laughs) She's dating some kind of, or no, she's married. She's got kids with like this designer cowboy now. From the, Based on the pictures I've seen, I don't know. That's kind of what I want to be when I get uh, in my late 40s. Just to, just go into the designer cowboy realm. Like cowboy shit, but like really nice cowboy shit. You know what I mean? That's really one of what, what I want to fall into. Uh, I hope everybody did their taxes. Because <laughs> if not, you're late. And don't ask me how I know. Guess who we're doing this week. On the last Meal podcast, we are doing um a very rare serial killer and by that I mean she's a woman or she was a woman eileen warlo war love- Timberland was there too eileen <laughs> warnos Wu- um you know this one's always always kind of been. Very interesting to me. First off, let's start with her last meal. Very easy for me to do. I don't even have to do it on a cheat day. It's just a cup of black coffee. That's it. And I'm sipping it now. And I got to tell you, that's a bitter bean juice. But it's an easy one to do. Now, Eileen Warnose, very interesting serial killer, quote unquote. Uh, the hitchhiking hooker. Is what they called her. Her reign was at a time when sex work and prostitution was, was heavily frowned upon. So aside from killing people. She was already kind of uh, you know looked down upon by by her peers. And the authorities so to speak. So nobody's going to be on her side. Which is sad. Uh, You know because she'd be kind of champion today. You know in, empowered. Which is good. It it's shows a lot of progression. But at that time. No, 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 no. You're a prostitute, you're a witch, you need to be burned at the stake, and they don't care. They don't fucking care. Uh, You know, it's also at a time where men got away with a lot more because, well, let's face it, (laughs) being a woman wasn't easy. Still isn't. But at that time, mm, very silenced. A very silenced uh, majority. And... uh, you know, nobody wanted to believe her. Nobody cared. And if if she she probably went through dozens and dozens of times where somebody either, you know, assaulted her, raped her, did something while she was on on the job and nobody cared if she if she said anything about it. And, you know, in my opinion, I have to I have to preface it with that being a prostitute in Florida seeing hundreds of clients probably, that probably happening, happening a number of times, and you only kill eight of them. I, I don't know. I don't think killing is justified in, in any in any corner, really. You know, eye for an eye, maybe. I don't know. Justice system, I'll let them work that out. Eileen early on maintained that uh, all of her murders were in self defense, claiming that if she didn't kill these men, they would have been beating her or raping her, and honestly. Is it that hard to believe? Doesn't mean I necessarily agree with how they were murdered, but it's also not far-fetched to believe that as a Florida prostitute, you'd see dozens upon hundreds of men and only kill like eight of them. Is it hard to think eight Florida men could, of dozens, I mean, eight Florida men out of dozens could potentially push a woman to defend herself in fear? I'm not the judge or the jury, but this seems like there's more to the story to me. Uh, towards the end of her life, she claimed that she killed the men in cold blood. Now, after watching what i 've watched and experiencing what i 've experienced in these documentaries and and you know the the articles and the readings i I feel like that was brought on by uh you know this relationship she had with this born again Christian woman who told her she had to say these things, but also just because she was tired of the system failing her. She had screamed self-defense so many times. And she had you know, given details about how these men had tried to anally rape her and things like that. And nobody was buying it. Nobody cared. Nobody wanted to give her an appeal. So she was probably like, fuck it. I just want to die. Yes, I killed him in cold blood. Just fucking murder me. Her original testimonies were very graphic and detailed about how they assaulted her. You know, there's just things... That uh, you'd have to be somewhat of a skilled writer to make up. Her first murder was a guy named Richard who had a long history of sexual assault. And also had spent time in an institution for sex offenders. Seems like the type of guy that would push Eileen to the state of uncomfortableness. And probably result in her murdering this man. Again, not that that's justified. I'm just saying. Of course, who, who am I to say? I've never been a woman. I've never experienced what women go through. This isn't me trying to be some kind of fake feminist idiot. I don't believe in all that bullshit and pandering and all that garbage. I'm just saying, you know, the things that are obvious are obvious. Okay? They're obvious. I will never know what it's like to to fear for rape and fear for my life in a situation of, you know, vulnerability. I don't ever think or worry about those kind of things. When I order an Uber, the last thought in my mind is that they're going to sexually assault me or rape me when it's at nighttime. And, you know, not that that happens frequently, but as a woman, you're probably th- you know, it's probably always in the back of your head. And that's not something that I have to live with. I don't ever have to live with that. If a guy is approaching me in a dark alley at night, do I think he's going to rape me? No. I don't think about that kind of stuff because it doesn't happen to people like me. So again, this isn't some kind of fake feminist uh, you know, like, oh yeah, you know, whatever. This is just obvious shit. This is just real obvious shit. Uh, but back to Eileen. She had multiple death sentences. Uh, you know, and 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 that's that's just crazy to me that that she had such a hard time. It's not crazy to me. It's different times. Even Ted Nerdboy Bunny. Buddy. Bun, Bundy. Bum dum, Bum Bum. Timbaland beat. Even Ted Nerdboy Bundy was offered life in prison after the vile, disgusting shit that he did. They're like, look, we're not gonna kill you. You just gotta live in prison for the rest of your life. Maybe there might be a chance you'll get out with good behavior. I don't know if that was the clause, but I mean, come on. Multiple death sentences. We're killing eight guys who supposedly, allegedly. Fucking assaulted you? Tried to rape you? Eileen at times was very articulate, you know. She spoke with intelligence a lot. She knew what she was talking about. After time in prison with your thoughts and nothing else, I would imagine anyone would go a little cuckoo for fucking Cocoa Puffs. As she did. She did. The case against her was basically that there's no way someone would need to use fatal self-defense that many times. To which I'd say, if I was a hooker in Florida... Eight would feel like a very low number to me. That's just how I feel. Her first lawyer, Dr. Legal, also known as just Steve, pretty much didn't do anything for Eileen. He failed to investigate the police. He pled guilty on all charges and didn't even attempt to get a lesser sentence for her. This guy was some kind of like pothead, had no experience in this kind of law. Uh, He dropped the ball a lot. Eileen didn't pay him, so, you know, He charged the media for interviews. Uh, He would basically take interviews and and shit like that and charge thousands of dollars. And that's how he made his money. He was kind of a goof, but she couldn't expect much from hiring a dude who goes by Dr. Legal. Which just sounds like a failed X-Men hero. (laughs) (laughs) I am Dr. Legal, and you will abide by my laws. Like Gambit's uh, rival, Dr. Legal. (laughs) Dr. Legal could fucking definitely be an X-Men character. I don't care what anybody says. But he was just some fucking hippie. He didn't fucking care about Eileen. He didn't care about any of the shit she went through. He didn't care about trying to defend her at all. Which again, we're talking about a serial killer. I get it. I'm not... Trying to over-sympathize. I'm just saying it's a little different, and I think in today's world, it would have been handled a lot differently. Um, Today's world's wacky cuckoo, goof-goof. <laughs> There's a lot of shit that I don't agree with, with, you know, over-sensitive, super-sensitive fuck fucking, you know, rejects that are, you know, just like, hey, please pay attention to me. But I think progressively we have gotten... We've made a lot of strides and things that I do agree with. Uh, Eileen actually thought she was going to get uh, off on all charges and live with another woman. A Christian lady, also named Eileen, who would run a horse farm with her. Isn't that that nice? Isn't that wishful thinking? Towards the end, she just wanted to get off death row and be executed. She took back all the things she ever said about self-defense and came clean, in quotes, with God. Now, that, I think, is the part of her life where she was just like, I can't fight the system anymore and I want to die. Uh, You know, Charlize Theron played Eileen Wuornos in in the biopic Monster. That's another thing. Monster. What a name to give a serial killer. All these other, you know, John Wayne Gacy, Jeffrey Dahmer. You know, all their movies were like the John Wayne Gacy movie. The Jeffrey, or just Dahmer. Eileen Wuornos, a woman who, you know, killed a bunch of guys who tried to fucking, you know, anally rape her and do all this other shit. And, you know, even if it's alleged, even if, you know, we have no proof. She's a monster? You know, like, killer. Murderer. <laughs> but monster? Like, it just, she just got... She, I, I think the fact that she was a prostitute, the fact that she was very loose with, you know, her lifestyle and, you know, did a lot of things. She was a thief. She stole a lot, you know, she had a bad childhood as they all do, don't they? But I think she just, you know, the second she would have killed anything or anyone, they would have been like monster burn this witch at the stake for not sleeping with me. You know, like those times. Um, although when she believed she wasn't being recorded, she did aggressively admit that everything she said was in, was, was true in the, in the regard of self-defense. She couldn't say that because she felt like the system would continue to fail her, you know? So, so it was a documentary that got her kind of off the record to say things like, look, I can't tell you that I, I it was self-defense, but I can't tell you that I just want to die. Basically, her family and childhood were very dysfunctional as well. Her mother abandoned her at six months. Her father was arrested for kidnapping and sodomizing an eight-year-old boy. He committed suicide in prison. Her grandfather was actually rumored to be her actual father. And he abused both Eileen and her mother. Her brother used to have sex with her. By age 13, she was pregnant and had a son who was quickly put up for adoption. Well, I mean, you're 13 and you're pregnant and at that time, especially, you know, the odds aren't in your corner. After that, she had a reputation so bad around town that she slept in the woods and stayed there on and off for two years. She couldn't even live in her own home, sometimes selling her body to get hotel rooms to wash up and sleep in a warm place. At one point in her life, she actually married a 76-year-old man, president of a coal company. But that only lasted a month because Eileen beat him with his own cane and filed for a restraining order. Oh, he filed for a restraining order against her. You know, you see pictures from this marriage, and you think, wow, this is like, they've kind of got it together here. Like, this is like, uh, this could be a thing, you know? Um... After that, she met her girlfriend, Tyra. They lived in RVs and Airstreams together for a while doing all kinds of cool redneck shit like drinking beer and firing their pistols at random shit in the woods. Eventually, as the police started to catch up with Eileen's crimes, Tyra ran away from her and Eileen ended up with another man. Tyra was working with the police to put together a story for Hollywood movie makers. Now, this is another thing that she had claimed after the fact. So it actually came out. Like police officers got in trouble. They were conspiring, you know, after she was convicted, all this other stuff, to sell her life rights and story to uh Hollywood movie makers. So they got in trouble for that because you're not allowed to do that, I don't think, until I don't know, somewhere you're at some point in court. But afterwards, Eileen would con con not she would uh what? God dang it, why do I lose words? Eileen would allude to the fact that, or the idea, rather, that the police knew that that she was killing after her first murder. They just let her continue to do so, off the radar, so that they have a better story for Hollywood, which is crazy. She even said in her last interview, she prepared for her death... She chose to have her last interview with a documentarian that would share her message, which was that she knows the police knew who she was after her first murder, but they continued to let her kill so they could build up a story for Hollywood. And she even said that the cops had her on surveillance while she killed, and she knew about it. She also believes that the guards of her prison were using sonic pressure from electronics in her cell to mess with her mind and control her. Now this is where you have a little too much time to yourself. And you start going whack a doodle pie. I get it. Never been in that situation, but again, my life is far different than Eileen's. She speaks uh, of retaliatory things to those who wronged her and said that you know the world would be hit by a rock in 2019 <laughs> that would wipe all of them away. All the people that fucked her over would be hit by a rock in 2019. Now, was that rock COVID? Was my girl Eileen predicting COVID? Maybe she was. Maybe she was. That's wildly inappropriate. Well, it's true. COVID did happen. Twenty nineteen. Look it up. Also, this was just hours after she passed her psychi- psychiatric test with flying colors. What do you got to do to fail a psychiatric psychiatric test? <laughs> so Jeb Bush mayor, governor, whatever, of the state at this time, got a lot of heat uh, for, you know, I guess, accelerating her death sentence, whatever, making it happen. Because she was deemed unfit and very mentally unfit to receive the death penalty. So, of course, he, you know, carries out this psychi- psychiatric evaluation. And, you know, Saying shit that that is obviously crazy. Sonic pressure from electronics. Mind control. Uh, a big rock hitting the earth in 2019. Uh, you passed. She passed with flying colors. She was put to death by lethal injection. She went peacefully. But before, she requested to be cremated. And for the song Carnival by Natalie Merchant to be played at her wake. Wow. Natalie Merchant, man. What a what a great song too. Um you know it's all very it's all very very wild. It's all very wild. There's a lot of questionable shit that went down. It was just a wacky time. Uh you know and I in her def, not not in her defense. I'm not going in her defense, but she you know went against these these courts and these 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 Bad lawyers and, you know, just these bad stigmas and just awful shit. You know, who knows the truth? I'm just saying there's a lot of questionable shit that went down. Yes, yeah, she killed men. Maybe sometimes they were innocent men. Do we know that for sure? I, and, you know, even though the victim's families, one of the victim's families, what a wacky thing. She went on, like, a, a TV show. And they asked the daughter of one of the victims who were like, well, you know, what do you think about all this or something? She's like, well, all I know is that I know for a fact that he didn't try to rape her because they cut his body open from his dick to his head and they didn't find no semen. (laughs) What? The fuck does that even mean? Where are you going to find semen in that region that that that's going to jump out and spell on the the operating table? He raped her. You can go back and look. They cut him up from fucking toe to head, head to toe. They didn't find semen nowhere. What the fuck? Yeah, because you cut somebody up like that and you're going to find blood. That's it. couple of organs, maybe a fingernail or two. Well, they didn't find any semen. Well, what? What is he supposed to do? Come internally. (laughs) That means he raped her. I don't know, man. One man's daughter's argument, that that man's daughter's argument was just so crazy. They didn't have any sedum. They cut him up and they cut his ass open. There was no semen. I'll never forget that. I watched that. That was part of the documentary I watched years ago, and I still won't forget that. Well, uh. Oh, what else did I not? Oh, there was an old lady that. Was, was interviewed. I don't think she was any, any of the victim's family. And she said something that I thought was kind of hilarious. Like, Well, you know, I hope. I know she did it, and I can't hope. I, all I can do is hope she meets up with old Sparky. And you know what that means? That means that electronic chair. <laughs> anyway. Here we have the last meal of Eileen Warnos. It's a cup of black coffee. That's all she requested. That's all she wanted before she died. She was prepared for it. She didn't care. In her mind, the system had failed her and she was ready to go. As I take this sip of coffee, I will close out the show by saying thank you guys so much for joining me. And we'll see you next week. I love you. I appreciate you. And, um, Get some rest, it's important.